It is, again, nice to be with you. I did a little research. I have, I think, all the sermons I've ever written on my computer still. And my computer is still running somehow. (laughs) And um, the last one I preached here, I think, had to be in 2012, maybe 2013. So, upwards of 10 years. This coming August, I'll have been preaching regularly at Woodland Friends for nine years. And in October, I'll have officially been their pastor for nine years. So if I do my thinking right, this is still, well, Valley View Nazarene is still, I have more years in this church than Woodland Friends. And coming here to preach again has been both a desire and a fear <laughs> for me. A desire because in this, this is home a lot of ways, so many memories Uh, but a fear because of what this last week of sermon prep has been for me. Um, I hate to say it, I woke up this morning and I said to Christy, oh, I'm dedicating a baby. Uh, Good thing I have a sermon for the dedication, a quick sermon. I I was pulling my hair out over the sermon so much that I didn't put that on my drive. But uh, So, you know, at Woodland Friends, I sometimes have writer's block, and even though I start writing the sermon on Monday or Tuesday, by about Friday or Saturday, I'm back to the drawing board. And so knowing I'd be in front of some folks I grew up in front of, uh, I knew it was going to be a hard week. I must say, though, whenever I was called here, I asked the Lord, Lord, what do you, what do you want me to, to preach there? Of course I had the idea, well, you have nine-plus years of sermons you could go through. But I really felt the Lord strongly say to me, John 17, over and over and over, John 17. And uh, even this last week, I said, is it really John 7? The Lord's like, yeah, John 17. So I'm sure you know the context of John 17. This has been called traditionally Jesus' priestly prayer or his high priestly prayer. Apparently it's in the upper room, or so John records it as such. Uh, After the events of the last Passover meal that he shares with his disciples, And I just want to look at verses 16 through 17 with you. And so I invite you to stand, if you're able to, in honor of hearing the Lord's word together. And let's look at verses 16 through 19. Jesus prays, They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so they also may be sanctified by the truth. Let's pray. Father, we come before a weighty thing, your word. Thank you for it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the word become flesh, that you came and dwelt among us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this prayer you have for all your believers. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you who wrote the scriptures are faithful to take and apply them to us today. Father, we we grant these moments to you. We ask that you would please have your way in our hearts. Lord, that you would say what it is that you desire and that you would move me out of the way. And I pray for soft hearts to receive your word. Help us not to argue 
or bicker with what you would tell us. Rather, instead, to be obedient, to receive your word because you're a loving father who loves us, who wants us to thrive, who wants us to fulfill what we were made for. We love you and we thank you and we ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. But our commonwealth is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So says Philippians 3.20 in the RSV. Our commonwealth is in heaven. Our citizenship, so says many translations. I like commonwealth because it gives me a clearer, a clearer uh, sort of political meaning. And I believe that Paul is trying to convey that our nation is the kingdom of God. That's our nation. Our patriotism should be to the kingdom of God. Our loyalty, our allegiance is to the kingdom of God. What we want to see succeed is the kingdom of God. And the joy of being part of the kingdom of God is beyond wishing to see it succeed. We know it will succeed. This should have ramifications for our here and now. But it does not always. And honestly, it seems... Many Christians in our nation see themselves first and foremost as an American who loves God and not a a Christian or a church uh, member or a heavenite who happens to find their exile and their sojourning in a nation called the USA. A nation that is subservient to, a nation that is less than and will exist far shorter than the kingdom of God than the kingdom of heaven that exists. Our commonwealth is in heaven. Can you say that with me? Our commonwealth is in heaven. I believe that this is in large part what Jesus is trying to say in this part of his prayer in in John 17. Believers, so say Jesus, here are separated, sanctified, sent, and saved. I went into debt going to Bible college so I could come up with quick, catchy point titles to keep you on track. You're welcome. (laughs) Let's turn to our first verse and see that we are separated from the world. John 17, 16 says, They are not of the world as I am not of the world. This world is not your home, Christian. This world was not Jesus' home. Heaven was. His citizenship, his commonwealth was in heaven. Earlier in the book, John records Jesus saying, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. You hear that? Jesus says, I have come down from. He he has a place he came from. He has a home. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, which if you ever want to be convicted about offering, just read that. For you know... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Christ as a home. It's heaven. Heaven is transcended. It's God's throne. The government over the earth. There, Christ was in glory. There, Christ was rich. But he has come down and he's not of this world. 
You know, I was thinking uh, about this message because I'm paid to, but <laughs> do you ever note <laughs> this, uh, my, my transitions stink, just so you know, but do you ever know how Jesus knows the earth is not his home, but he knows where his home is? If, if you read the, the gospel like that, it changes everything, how he operates. You know, when Jesus is looking a political superior in the face who asks him, you are a king then. Jesus, I'm convinced without blinking, responds, you say that I'm a king. Right? Jesus unashamedly admits authority to his Roman superior Pilate. What about when Jesus talks about Herod? Do you remember that wonderful inviting line? When some Pharisees tell Jesus that Herod wants to kill him, that's another social superior, the Jewish king over Israel says that. Jesus says out loud in public for all to hear, go tell that fox. I don't need to say any more to make my point. Jesus, rural rabbi, not even the mill foreman Jesus, seems to believe something about Herod. He calls him a fox. Now, my point is not to embolden Christians to call their political leaders bad names. It's to point out Jesus' personal awareness of authority in his position in our world. He's not of it. It comes back to this talk with Pilate where Jesus says to him, you would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given you from above. Jesus is not talking about above Pilate being Caesar. Jesus is talking about God in heaven, Yahweh, where Jesus is from. He's not of this world the word world in the book of John, whenever our author uses this word, world, often off the lips of Jesus, he's not referring to the vague, abstract idea of, you know, everybody. He's got opposition in mind. Jesus says, the world hates me because I testify about it that its deeds are evil. Jesus says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. I'm about to present a grim picture, but it's going to get better. But it's a true picture. The gospel, the story of the history of the world from God's perspective is this. It's a kingdom filled with rebels. And our king is retrieving rebels, making them loving, willing, obedient subjects again, loyalists again. So the remaining rebels are going to be that much more incensed. I hope this isn't too soon. It's been about 250 years since the War of Independence, so if this illustration hurts you, I'm sorry. But it's like colonial rebel America and the general distaste for the Tories and the Loyalists, right? Thank God that God is a far better king than King George is, or was. But before this War of Independence, you had this animosity. You're not for our cause. You're for Britain. Be gone with you. We'll tar and feather you. Go on. Get out of here. This is how it is if you're a citizen, subject, and loyalist to the king. In this world of rebels, there's going to be some animosity. The world hates Jesus. The world will hate his followers. Doesn't mean we go looking for trouble. They are not of the world, says Jesus. That's what he said to begin with. 
Now, maybe, you're, maybe you say, Kevin, I know what you mean, uh, that the world is animosity, it's opposition, the, the, the whole system that's anti-Jesus, and I get it. Uh, I was born on earth, not on heaven, but that's not what Christ is talking about. Christ is talking about world being anti-Jesus versus pro-Jesus, but the truth is, is that we were all born of the world in all of its senses. Not only born in this sense on earth, but born in the world that Jesus is stating to his disciples or about his disciples that we are no longer a part of. This is why in John 3, Jesus says memorably, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And by John 17, Jesus' disciples are not of the world, but they were born originally physically into the world in all of its senses on earth, and in this world's common culture of rebellion against the king. Jesus says one must be born again to become a citizen of his kingdom in his commonwealth. Now, this is what faith in Christ does. Jesus says he's not of the world, he's the son of God. Paul says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It is faith in Jesus Christ how we get here, how we get to the spot to where we're separated out of the world, faith. And suddenly we realize we are strangers and pilgrims on the earth, like Jesus was. Again, Jesus would say, who's Herod to me? Who's Pilate to me, right? Contemporary illustration, who's Biden to me? Who is Trump to me? Do you remember growing up, if you went to public school like I was, What did you not like to hear? Go to the principal's office. (laughs) The principal has a principal's office. Joe Biden has a sovereign he needs to report to. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, A king's heart is like streams of water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. This is encouraging because a lot of us little peons at times in this democracy where everyone has a voice, um, doesn't feel like we have a voice. We have an ear with the king of the universe. We can intercede for our world with the king of the universe. Now, sure, be involved in government. Sure, seek God's kingdom values in the public place. But just know before you sign documents, make statements, go on protest or vote people in, you can approach the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the sovereign. And it's actually his nation, his commonwealth, his kingdom that we're interested in, right? Working for Well, I guess I should have moved on. I have three more points to cover. Um, Sanctified. We are sanctified in the truth. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. One commentator points out something that's both profound and obvious. I find those are the most profound statements. Like, that's obvious, but it's, wow. The very fact that the request was made to the Father and not a command to the disciples shows us this. Man cannot sanctify himself. It is clear that it could be wrought only by the power of God. Do you believe Christ's word is true today? Do you really believe it? You know, a while back, the denomination I'm a part of now, I know, that's, kind of, that's still a sore wound, um, <laughs> Evangelical Friends, Quakers, Official name of the denomination is Northwest Yearly Meeting of Friends because I need a, they want me to explain it to everybody I meet. A, a while back, they had a split 
Now, yes, there were some hot-button social issues, but I believe many of us correctly diagnosed what the hot-button disagreements were on were just symptoms. The sickness, the undergirding issue was on the authority of Scripture. Is this authoritative? Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Paul says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. How much scripture? All scripture. Even the parts that our society doesn't like? Even the parts that challenge our culture? People who argue for, hey, it's a changing culture, a changing time, seem to forget that the scriptures were written and Jesus and the apostles were confronting culture then. <laughs> oh, wow, they're always counterculture. <coughs> Lord, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed. Some translations say settled in heaven. How long is God's word settled? Forever. How dare he not confer with us much more progressed, smart, 21st century beings with our three-pound fallen brains. He should have at least considered us. What if something new happens that he hasn't dealt with? (laughs) What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. Is there nothing new under the sun? Can anyone say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. Hmm. Sanctify them. Jesus says. He wants you and I to be sanctified. That's a good Nazarene word right there. (laughs) You know what sanctify means? Kevin preaches on it every Sunday. (laughs) It actually goes back to the previous point. It means separated. Separated from the earth. We we are not of this world. And in order to to preserve in our otherworldliness, in order to persevere, we must be sanctified by the truth. Your word, his word is truth. You know, an age-old recommendation from pastors, something that we just never seem to reinvent the wheel on, be in the word. Be in the word. Are you in the word daily? Let me tell you this, folks. You have more access to the word, to teaching surrounding the word, to study notes, to enlighten your reading of the word than the disciples of Jesus did. Just going to say it. And you say, well, Kevin... They had Jesus personally. He's probably the best teacher. Well, I'm glad you caught on to that. You're smart. The same writer of our Jesus prayer here brings up a point later in his own letter, and that is the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you, so you can all go home whenever you want to. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as he taught you remain in him. That's a good Quaker verse. We talk about the inner light being led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit continues the work of sanctification. And he can teach you through his word. Now I'll just be the first to confess. It is a struggle for me still. I'm in the word of God daily, but by golly, please don't bring up my time in Facebook and compare it with the time I spend in the word. (laughs) I got the Facebook habit down. Okay? I got that one covered. Facebook isn't sanctifying. Can I get an amen on that? Is there something that you do longer, spend more time in doing than you do in the Word of God? And if so, how is that working out for you? 
If you spend more time reading and watching news than you do in God's truth, this conviction is for you. If you spend more time reading novels and magazines than letting the Holy Spirit sanctify you in His truth, then this conviction is for you. It's for me. I already confessed it. I'm in the boat with you. But, by God's grace, let's move from the boat to the ark. I don't have a plan, Kevin. What do I do? A few pointers. Some of you know this. You need to hear it. Reading the Bible is not a race. Okay? Don't feel guilty if you started in Genesis, but four months later, Leviticus 1, and you tapped out. (laughs) You know what? Forget Genesis. Open the book of John. I dare you to spend a year in that one book and do it guilt-free. Handle the chapters one by one. Follow rabbit trails. Look at cross-references. Some of you like structure. There are these great editions of the Bible called one-year Bibles. Have you ever heard of that? They come out in pretty much every translation, and if you think it's not in yours, just look on eBay. I found out in the 80s and 90s they were doing it in other translations. There's something called the YouVersion Bible app. Jesus' prayer was that we would be sanctified by truth, and we can seek to answer that prayer by God's grace. We're separated and sanctified because Christ wants us to be sent. He says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I want you to hear this. Where is Jesus going? Where is he sending his sons, the sons of God by faith? So Paul called it into the world. The beautiful thing about this idea, this word study of world in the book of John is that the world that hates Jesus, the world that hates Jesus' disciples, is the world that Jesus calls us to come out from, is the same world wherein Jesus memorably states, for God so loved the world. That's the world he loves. Now some of you, maybe like me, you look around these past few years, and maybe you've taken great comfort in the statement of Hebrews, which says that we are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Like, yeah, this isn't my circus. (laughs) Like, that has been easy for me to declare these past few years. This place is not my home. That's a relief because it certainly stinks lately. But there is this paradox. We don't say, wow, the world stinks. God doesn't say, wow, the world stinks. And then he lets somebody else take it over. He doesn't hand off ownership. God fixes the messes that people make. God's a redeemer. John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God wants the world saved. The world that hates him, the world that hates his disciples, the, the same world that says, don't say that, don't quote those scriptures, we don't want Jesus to have a say in what we're doing, don't hassle with us, don't meddle with us. You know what that attitude is? Grown up kids. I know because I have them. <laughs> If you have kids, how many times do you watch your kids do something completely wrong, but they're unwilling to be helped? (laughs) Because of pride and arrogance, and I'm a big boy, and I can do this, and leave me alone. God didn't make us to be alone. He made us to have fellowship with him. I brought this up in the uh, dedication already, but Isaiah 43, 7 and 21 says that we were made for his glory, and we were formed for him to declare his praise. What this means in sheer logic is that when we do those things, glorify him or declare his praise, know him. Again, John 17, 3, earlier in the prayer, Jesus says, This is the eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. 
When we know him and experience him, we will be and feel fulfilled. You know, uh, I know a lot about coffee makers because I like coffee. I never try to make it toast my toast because it's designed to make coffee. We are designed to worship and glorify Jesus. That's where we will be most fulfilled. Whenever you have problems and you hear the generalizations, have you been praying? Have you been reading your Bible? Don't hear that like, cop out. Give me something I need, Pastor. You really need time with God. He is where you will be and feel most fulfilled and thrive. You will thrive in doing what you were made for and being who God made you to be. Communion with him is how God saves the world. It's why he sends us into the world. So, you're sent. How is that going? How is that going? It's like being sanctified. Get out your schedule. How's the sending part going? Look at your bank account. What does that say about Christ's mission for your life? What is your work, your hobbies? Do you have time to squeeze a little bit of that great commission in there? Here's what I think people hear when they're convicted. But that means I'll have to give up on stuff I really love to do boring Christian stuff. But what did I just say? You were made for communion with God. The enemy wants you to think that Christian stuff is boring. One of the things I was challenged with lately was a book by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. And he challenges the Christian by saying, how many lives are wasted by people who believe that the Christian life means simply avoiding badness and providing for the family? So there is no adultery, no stealing, no killing, no embezzlement, no fraud, just lots of hard work during the day, lots of TV and PG-13 videos in the evening during quality family time, and lots of fun stuff on the weekend woven around church mostly. This is life where millions of people wasted life. We were created for more, far more. Ouch. I'm still working on that, so if you're convicted, I haven't progressed much since I read it. I don't have anybody I can confess to, so you're a captive audience. He calls this the avoidance ethic when Christianity is reduced to what we avoid because we're Christians. What we, excuse me, when Christianity is reduced to what we avoid because we're Christians, it's not what we do. Christ has sent you on mission, and he compares who he was by the commission of God with who he ought to be with who you are. You know, did Jesus come to earth to avoid badness, provide for his family, watch slightly better TV in the evenings? Did Jesus come to earth to attend synagogue and say, oh, I'm saved, and then move on with life? Thank God he didn't. <laughs> well, where do I start, Kevin? Prayer is a good place, and I have a dare for you. Do any of you like truth or dare? I always chose truth, but <laughs> I got a dare for you. I dare you in the next month. I'll give you time to get one, spare one if you don't have it. But I dare you to share a Bible with someone whom you think might not be saved. I dare you. Now, did the Holy Spirit lay on this to me some divine commission for you? Will you be smitten by God should you reject this command? Should you feel the holy guilt and pain if you don't fulfill this? Yes! No, just kidding. No. <laughs> But if you don't give a Bible to someone whom you think might not be saved, I simply ask this, why not? Pray over your answer with Jesus. See what he says about this homework. 
Jesus' prayer for you is that you would be sent into the world. Jesus has even done the hard part for you. Kevin, what do I say? Well, good thing he wrote a whole book. I mean, if you need to go put it in front of a uh, door and run away and drive off, <laughs> drive by witness, <laughs> think it over, pray it over, see if your reasons and answers as to why you think I'm daring you to do this shouldn't happen. See if God agrees with you. Why, yes. That's a good reason you have there. Kevin was just a visiting minister. He didn't know what he was talking about. You're off the hook. Your thoughts here? I never considered them. Kevin never considered them. One more point in the passage, then I'm done, and, and you're glad that I'm done. Saved, separated, sanctified, sent, and then saved. That was five. Saved is the last one. Jesus has saved us. That's his point in verse 19. I sanctify myself so they also may be sanctified by the truth. Now, I hear the word sanctify as in mature or made better or taken from a place of dirty, muddy sin and then improved upon. But Paul says that Jesus did not know sin. And the author of Hebrews, maybe Paul, says Jesus is without sin. It's amazing how those two agree with each other. So the sanctify here, I'm taking to mean more of the set apart. Jesus just used set apart in like four different ways. You know, in John 10:36, Jesus says that the Father sanctified or set him apart and sent him into the world. That is the point of the gospel. It's the whole theme of John's gospel account. He opens up memorably, the word became flesh and took up residence among us. Kevin, the word is dwelt. Okay, he dwelt among us. The word, Jesus Christ, was sanctified by God, the Father, for this purpose. He was set apart for this purpose. And whenever he was here, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. It is in walking the way of Jesus, absorbing the truth of Jesus, and partaking in the life abundantly that Jesus gives, that we will be saved, that we will have communion and be restored with him. And in Christ, you have been separated. You may live in Idaho in the USA, but your commonwealth is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. You're not of this world. You have been sanctified, and you need more sanctifying. So do I. You've been given his Holy Spirit. You've been given his truth. You don't need the world's ways, cultures, and thinking to immerse you, but you can be immersed and sanctified in the truth. You have been sent. You've been sent to save others in this world. You've been sent to bring other rebels back into the kingdom, back into subjection to him who are, is our king and our father. Maybe you don't like that word subjection. Okay, communion. Because he's a loving father. He's not an angry taskmaster. But it is in communion with him where we will live and thrive. And you've been saved for these things. Our Savior has come before us. He's been sanctified. He's been set apart himself to save us and to empower us so we might be set apart, sent out to save others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, it, uh, it helps me to see that I'm part of a better kingdom that this world can offer. Father, that my commonwealth is with you, with your throne, with your presence. Father, I have no dogs in this fight in our world, but my dogs, <laughs> proverbial dogs, are within your kingdom. Father, my patriotism lies with you. My hope is to see your mission fulfilled. My hope is to see your kingdom to continue. 
sometimes, for whatever reason, you entrust kingdom building to sinners like us, imperfect as we are, because you don't see us as sinful and imperfect. You see Jesus when you see us, because you saved us, and you have set us apart, and you're sending us out. Uh, Father, I may be a pastor, but that doesn't mean that uh, I'm off the hook. Um, Father, you want us to carry out your great commission. Father, if anybody's been convicted today, let conviction do its good work in us. Help us to do what you've called us to do. Help us to please you. Thank you that you're a loving father, that you're not waiting up for us to fail or slip up. You've already died to prove your love for us. Help us to respond obediently and accordingly to as you would have us do so, though. Help us not to just live the Christian life of avoidance, but to live a Christian life of doing. We love you and we thank you and we ask and we pray all these things in the work of Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. You are dismissed.